If you'll turn in your Bibles to Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, we want to read a few verses here as we continue preaching about the God of the festival. I'm not going to rehash all of the festivals, holidays, holy days that we've covered, but just remember, we've looked at the Sabbath, which was the weekly festival, the weekly holy day, and we've looked at the Passover, which was one of the big three that you were required to come to Jerusalem, come to the place where the temple was. And then we looked at the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And today we come to the Feast of the First Fruits. Now, I want you to think about how these feasts fit together. Because our God is the God of festive joy. He is very logical in one sense in his in his doings and his ways of course his ways are above our ways but he put these festivals so that they were very easy to remember easy to take place and i want you to think about it it was a little bit confusing to me on the mechanics of how this feast of the first fruits went but it's very clear from the scripture as we read in verse one here in just a moment but the feast of the first fruit was right there in the middle of what went on at the Passover, the week of unleavened bread. The first fruit occurred right in there. So you've got three festivals, three holy days combined in one. Now when we get to the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks, those four holy days and holy weeks together will make up the spring festival season. Four together make up the spring festival season. And it corresponds with the harvest, with the first of the harvest. So let's read. I want to get this back in front of you. Refresh your memory and refresh mine. Leviticus 23 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, that's holy assemblies, Even these are my feasts, the Lord says. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest. You know, we covered that. That's the first one we looked at. And holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. In the 14th day of the first month, that would correspond basically to April, This was called Abib, A-B-I-B. But in the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. There's another one that we've covered. And on the 15th day of the same month, the very next day after the Passover, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. But you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. In the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Now listen to this. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, that's the promised land, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you, On the morrow, after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Notice the language. So he's saying that as you have observed the Passover on the 14th, and you've come to Jerusalem, and then you're there for basically a week observing the Feast of Unleavened Bread from the 15th, he says the day after that, 
then you're to come forth with this first fruit festival. So three in one, you see. And you shall offer, verse 12, that day when you wave the sheaf and he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the meat offering there shall be two-tenths deal of fine flour mingled with oil and offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering therefore shall be of wine and fourth part of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor parched corn. I always say that's popcorn, you know. Nor, nor parched corn, nor green ears, until the selfsame day that ye have brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. You could not eat of the harvest until you had brought the first fruit of that harvest and offered it to the Lord. And that's the feast of the first fruits. Now notice, even though the feast of the first fruits was not named as one of the big three, you know, where you come to Jerusalem, you were already there. Do y'all see that? You know, whenever you come to do the Passover and then you follow it up with the week of the unleavened bread, you're already at Jerusalem, you see? So what you've got going on here is the Lord making it very easy for the people of God, very easy to worship Him and celebrate Him. You remember the Edersheim quote that I've really fallen in love with? the trystings of Jehovah with His people, the appointed time that Jehovah would come and meet with His people. So let's consider the Feast of the first fruits. I want to give you a very brief history about first fruits and why the Lord is so concerned about the first fruits. You can go all the way back to the book of Genesis in the first few chapters and you can find where Abel was offering first fruits. Even back in the dawn of time, not far from creation, the first the first children of the first man and woman were offering first fruits. Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock. The definition of the word first fruit, it means to be first in place, in time, in order, or rank, the chief or the principal thing. Now look at Numbers, the eighth chapter. We're going to have a little survey here of some Old Testament scripture because it helps us clearly see what's going on with the Feast of the first fruits, and, and don't go to sleep on me now because it has an incredible relevance to us today. So let's look at Numbers, the 8th chapter. I'm going to put a few more verses from some of the law in front of you so you can see clearly what the Lord required. Numbers 8, and let's look at verse 17. Listen to what he says. For all the firstborn of the children of Israel are mine. You hear that? Both man and beast. On the day that I smote every firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them for myself. You see, the, the firstborn, it not only ties into the creation whenever Abel and others following him, Seth and descendants of Adam, began to bring the firstfruits, the firstlings, the best, the firstborn, and they would sacrifice them to God. You come down to the days of Moses, and the Lord puts it into statute. He codifies it. He says, this is my law. So you can really understand why I'm requiring these first fruits. He says, the first fruit of man and beast is mine. So I don't know if you remember, I've talked before about when Abraham went up and offered Isaac. You remember that? Maybe a while back, go back and listen to that sermon. Abraham goes up and he offers Isaac when the Lord said... Go and offer thy son, thine only son. You know, Abraham, it was, no, it was no shock in the sense of that culture understood that the firstborn belonged to God. There was a debt owed to God. 
You see, part of that has to do with Adam who was created by God and he sells himself into sin. You see, Adam owed God because he had everything, he had it made. So when God comes to Abraham and he says, take thy son, thine only son Isaac and go and offer him. If God had said, take Sarah and go and offer her, that would have been a shock. Abraham would have been like, what? That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't fall in line with the debt of the firstborn. And here God makes it very clear. He says, all of the firstborn are mine. And this ties into Exodus 13 and 1. You can turn there if you like. But in Exodus 13 and 1, as the Lord is bringing the last plague upon, upon Egypt, the Lord spake unto Moses saying, listen now, sanctify unto me all the firstborn. Whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. You see, the Lord is putting into the law to make it clear that throughout all of history up to this point, that the debt of the firstborn was owed to God. And guess what? Because of the offense against God by Adam, God could call that debt in anytime he wanted to. That's why it didn't shock Abraham. Did he want to do it? Of course he didn't want to do it. It's his only son. But you understand it didn't shock him that he said, take thine only son and go and sacrifice him. That was many years before the days of Exodus, remember? It didn't shock him that the Lord was calling in the debt. So it helps you understand what's going on in Egypt. You see, I've told you before, the Lord didn't just call the firstborn debt in on the Egyptians. The Lord called the firstborn debt on the entire land, Israelites and Egyptians. And the only thing that kept the Israelites from losing the lives of their firstborn children, was boys, was what? It was the blood. Y'all get that? The blood of a baby lamb had to be put on the doorpost, and therefore the Lord passed over the Israelites. The Lord is bringing that to their memory in the feast of the first fruits. The Lord said, all firstborn are mine. Verse 14 of Exodus 13. Watch this now. You say, why are you telling us this, Brother Tim? Do we really need to know this? And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come. Yes, you need to know this. This is spiritual history. You see, it's the heart of God displayed from time past, you see? And no wonder we're in the condition that we're in today as a culture, as a society, because we've lost sight of the heart of God. It was the heart of God to say, I will spare my chosen by blood. It wasn't because they were better looking than the Egyptians. As a matter of fact, if, you've, if you see any, the way the Egyptians kept themselves up, they were probably far less good looking than the Egyptians because they were slaves. They didn't have time to take care of themselves. There was nothing attractive about the people of Israel, but God in his wisdom and in his sovereignty, and most importantly, in his pure mercy, he spared them. Not because of who they were or what they did or what they said or how they lived. My goodness, the man Moses who led them out, God called him to lead them out. He was up one that had killed someone, you see? There's no goodness in the children of Israel. Child of God, when you see the heart of God towards you, that there's no goodness in you, that there's nothing inherently good about you and your nature that comes from Adam, and then you see what God has done for you and looking to the blood of His Son and paying for your sins through Him... It makes you appreciate God much, much more. Instead of just thinking, God's just an option for me. You know, I can opt in, I can choose in, I can baptize in, I can walk in, I can do. Let me tell you, 
We need to see God for what He is. He is a merciful God. And in this beautiful feast here, the Lord says, all of the firstborn are mine. I can call the dead in anytime I want to. And He called the dead in in Egypt, on Israel and on Egypt. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, what is this? That thou shalt say unto him, by strength of hand the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go, that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Did y'all catch that? Did y'all, you kind of overlook that sometimes, don't we? Oh, Peter would have a field day with that, wouldn't they? <laughs> the Lord called the dead in on the animals too. He says, therefore... I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix, that's the womb, being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. Amen. You get that? You know, listen, this was, I've been telling you, these feasts were also just, just a defense and even an attack against the wickedness of the cultures around. You know, the other cultures around, like the Egyptians, all of the Canaanites, all of the, where they were going into the Canaan land, all of them practiced abortion. They practiced killing their children. The firstborn of their children, they killed. <laughs> they killed their firstborn. So the Lord says, I'm not asking you to kill your firstborn. I'm asking you to sacrifice a lamb. And the blood of that lamb spares or redeems the firstborn. Now understand, that was a symbol pointing to something greater one day that would come and ultimately redeem the children of God. So, even over in the book of Romans, the 11th chapter and the 16th verse, it speaks of the first fruits, that if the first fruit is holy, if it's done right, if the first fruit that is brought is holy, then it makes the whole crop or the whole lump holy. Okay? So now, the first fruits under Moses' law. I want you to think about the mechanics of this, okay? As an Israelite, you'd come to Jerusalem. After they got in the promised land, settled in the promised land, and the temple or the tabernacle was set up, you would come to the place where the Lord said to come, where the temple or the tabernacle was, and on the 14th day of the month, you celebrated the Passover. You had to bring a lamb for that, or buy a lamb when you got there. On the 15th day, the Feast of Unleavened Bread started. So if you say, well, we really enjoyed the Passover. Well, here, here comes seven days of the Unleavened Bread Feast. And then on the 16th of the month, that's when you came and offered the first fruit. Now I want you to think about this. Look at Leviticus, again, back to Leviticus 23. And I promise you we're going to get over in the Old Testament, but right now we're kind of hanging out in Leviticus so we can get this clear picture. In Leviticus 23, Back in verse 9, the Lord said, Speak to the children of Israel and say, When you come into the land which I give unto you, you shall reap the harvest thereof. Then you shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priests. So the way that the, they had done this, here was basically how it went down. Three priests of the Sanhedrin, which was the Levitical class, the ones that handled the sacrifices, three priests of the Sanhedrin would go out into the fields somewhere near Jerusalem, where there was barley growing. Barley, was the, barley harvest was the first harvest. When I was thinking about how to make, help us understand that, any of y'all that plant gardens, you know, a lot of times, you know, turnip greens, <laughs> you know, you can plant those things early and they'll, they'll kind of last through the year almost in some places. But you think about the first thing that comes in. You know, it's, it's not the corn, you know, the first thing that comes in. It's something else. It's something a little more durable or something a little more tough. Well, the barley 
Not the wheat, not the tender wheat, but the barley harvest was what came in first. And so normally they would go out and they would, the priests, these three priests would go out into a field. You would feel blessed if they had selected your field. (laughs) And they would look up on the field and they would see, okay, this section right here looks like it's going to produce first. So they would mark it. They might flag it mark it right there and they come back and check it and when they come back and check it and it it was there it had produced it was the first you see and so they'd have a sickle that's just a fancy word for like a machete (laughs) they'd have a sickle and they would have three baskets and they would harvest the first fruit and they'd put it in those baskets and they'd take it to the temple now legend says this is not from the bible but i did a little reading on some of the legends or some of the things that the traditions of the Israelites, and this is what they say that they went through. It would be a big deal. The priests would be out there, and a crowd of people would be there. Not everybody, because everybody couldn't gather around, but you know, the landowner and different people would be out there. And so the priests, the three priests would gather around where they were fixing to cut, fixing to reap that first fruit harvest, and they would ask some questions. And the crowd that was there responded. They would say, Has the sun set? You know, they did it in the afternoon because the day began for the Jew. At the end of the day, it began at five o'clock or six o'clock. So they would say, has the sun set? And the crowd would say, yes. And then they would hold up the sickle and they would say, with this sickle, I will reap. They will say, yes. And I will put it into the basket. The, the crowd would say, yes. And it is on the Sabbath or the appropriate time. They'd say, yes. And they'd say, shall I reap now? And the crowd would say, yes. And they would reap out three baskets full of the first fruit and take the basket and when they would get to the temple they'd hold the basket up and they'd wave it before the Lord they just kind of wave it that was the wave offering now it wasn't just the priests that were celebrating because you remember the families and the males leading their families had come to Jerusalem had come for the feast so there was also something for them to do if you think about it when they traveled from wherever they traveled from They had to come prepared to sacrifice the Passover first. They had to come prepared to observe the unleavened bread feast. And they had to be prepared to offer a lamb for the first fruit feast a couple days later. And they also had to bring their first fruit. Most of them were farmers. So out there in the farm, they'd go out to their own crop and they would look and see, when's this coming in? And they would reap that first fruit. They didn't eat it. They reaped it, put it in a basket, brought it to the temple, presented it to the priest. In Deuteronomy 26, if you want to look there, you have the actual picture of what they did. In Deuteronomy 26 and 1, It shall be when thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance and possesseth it, and dwellest therein, that thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth which thou shalt bring of thine land that the Lord thy God giveth thee, and thou shalt put it in a basket, and shall go into the place where the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. And thou shalt go into the priest that shall be in those days and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God. This, you were required to say this. The males were required to say it. I profess this day unto the Lord thy God that I am come into the country which the Lord swear unto our fathers for to give us. And the priest shall take the basket out of thy hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord thy God. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, a Syrian ready to perish was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there with a few and became there a nation great, mighty, and populous. And he goes on and describes what else he's supposed to say to recite before the priests. And now look at verse 10. The closing of it was, Now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which thou, O Lord, hast given me. And thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God and worship before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt rejoice in every good thing 
which the Lord thy God giveth unto thee and unto thine house, thou and the Levite and the stranger that is among you. The word worship right there means to depress. It doesn't mean to be depressed. It means to crouch down to pay homage to royalty. That's what worship means. The word rejoice right there is one of my favorite words is the samach. You know that some of y'all think I'm crazy, but it's, it's the word that when you say it, it kind of makes you smile. It's the Hebrew word samach. It means to rejoice, to brighten up. That's what this feast was all about. You say, well, it doesn't seem very happy to bring something that's so good, like the first fruit, and have to do away with it. Well, side note, most of what didn't go into the fire, most of it went to the priests. So it wasn't wasted. The Lord provided that to be given to the priests. But at the same time, you were supposed to be joyful that you were securing the rest of the crop by giving the first fruits to the Lord. <laughs> so... The mechanics of all of this is that the Lord required the first fruit and he's not calling in the debt. He could call in the debt on the animals. He could call in the debt on the crop. He could call in the debt like he did in Egypt. He could call in the debt of the firstborn males if he chose to. But in his grace and his mercy, he did not. Now you say, what in the world does that have to do with us today? <laughs> did you know that we're still under the command or under the, the law is not a good way to put it because it wasn't even a law before they were doing it. But we are still observing the giving of first fruits. We're still under that. You know, Abel gave first fruits. Abraham gave first fruits to Melchizedek. You see, and then the law comes along and they have tithing implemented. But you understand we're not under the law anymore because Christ has fulfilled the law, but we are still under first fruit giving. I've said this before. This is sort of a side note, but Normally, the first check that I write out of my account on a monthly basis, no matter what bills are coming in, I look and see what the Lord has blessed me if He has, if I do have the blessing of having income. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you don't, but I look and I see what the Lord has blessed me with, and I think about what I've committed to observe, to give to Him, and the first thing that comes out, the first check that is written is the first fruit. That's a way that you still observe the first fruits. <laughs> you see? We're still under what Abel was doing. Now watch this. As we close here this morning on 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. You don't want to miss this. And hopefully it makes it all make sense on how the first fruit applies to us today. Not just about how you give. It does apply to that. But look at 1 Corinthians 15. This is the resurrection chapter in the New Testament. And I want to begin reading in verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Did y'all catch that? Let's read on. For since by man came death, that's Adam, by man came also the resurrection of the dead, that's Christ. For as in Adam all of mankind dies, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now you can look at that two ways. At the end of time, at the resurrection, the wicked and the just will come forth. You see? All shall be made alive in the sense He's going to resurrect everybody one day. Sometimes we overlook that. But in a, in a specific sense, He's talking about the chosen of God. And they will be made alive and dwell with Christ forever. But every man in his own order. You say, when's this going to happen, Brother Tim? Christ, the firstfruits. He is the one that secured the crop. Afterward, they that are Christ, it is coming. We say, when is the crop going to come in? 
when Christ comes back. Then cometh the end when he shall deliver up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority, for he must reign till he hath put his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now, by the way, if you'll do a little careful looking at the sequence right there, it completely obliterates anything related to some kind of millennial reign. Because when the end comes, it says the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And that's when Christ comes back. Death is dead forever. The first fruits already killed death because He came forth from the grave. But when He comes back, all shall be made alive. Why? Because He's the first fruit. You get that? So Christ today is still the first fruit resurrected from the dead. And He has secured you as the crop. You are the crop. You are the harvest of God. You can read in the book of, in, I believe it's in the book of Matthew, 13th chapter, where Jesus gives the parables and He speaks of the harvest at the end of time. It's going to be a harvest like the reaper goes and puts a sickle in the earth and, and reaps the harvest from the earth and all shall come forth and the children of God will be with Christ forever because He's the first fruit. And you're the lump or the crop. Now, I want you to think about this as we close. If Christ held the last Passover on the 14th of that month, which is when it was supposed to be, on a Wednesday, that was the Passover, and He is our Passover, and He instituted the New Testament communion, then He goes the next day on the beginning of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, right? And He dies. Okay, that's a Thursday. And then on Friday, it is possible that they waited the day after the Sabbath, which would have been the Saturday. It would just make sense that he was resurrected on the morning of the waving of the first fruit, wouldn't it? I mean, that would just make sense. Now, I don't know if that's exactly the way it was, but there was a lot going on in those few days. Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Sabbath was on that Saturday. The first fruits were offered. I mean, there are all kinds. And the, and the Israelites are over here doing their thing, and they're not even paying attention to what's going on over here with Christ, Right? All this is happening with the Lord and, and it's saving us from our sins and nobody even knows what's going on. But at the same time, while that's happening, Christ is the Passover. His blood has spared us from destruction. And Christ is the unleavened bread of God because He has no sin in Him. And Christ is our Sabbath of rest because He has finished salvation. And Christ is our first fruit. Now, I hope to show you as we come to the end of this somewhere down the road that in Christ, you have all of those feasts embodied in the body of Jesus Christ, in the work of Jesus Christ. And so you say, well, why don't we do any of those things anymore? <laughs> we do. <laughs> That's what you're doing here today. You're here to celebrate your Passover, which is Christ. You're here to celebrate the unleavened bread of God that had no sin in it, which is Christ. You're here to celebrate the Sabbath, which is your rest. Christ is the Sabbath of rest. And you're here to celebrate Christ the first fruits. So let me ask you this. Are you bringing your first fruits to God? Now, I'm not just talking about, I'm not, I'm not primarily talking about the giving of funds or the giving of goods. I'm talking about he deserves your best. Did you know that? He deserves your kindest word to whoever you're dealing with. He deserves everything that is the best about you. As sometimes we hear it said, the best version of you. God is worthy of your best because of the Lord gave His best. You see? By the way, you remember whenever Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to do the, follow the procedures of the law? 
in the book of Luke. They couldn't even afford to buy a lamb. So you know what they did? They bought two little turtle doves. (laughs) But you understand what was going on there? Even the Son of God was brought forth pursuant to the law. The Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, had two little turtle doves put to death and their blood used as a wave offering. First fruit of Joseph and Mary. Now we know he was the Son of God, but in terms of them being a covenant marriage, he was a first fruit. He's the first fruit of God, (laughs) no doubt. The only begotten Son of God. You understand? He called in the debt on his son instead of you. He called in the debt on his son. So you owe him the best of what you've got. The best version of you, the best word out of your mouth, the best emotions that you have, the best service that you have, the best of your time. How many of you have sat and talked with me before about Bible study? And I've said time and time again, give Him the best of your time. Proverbs, the third chapter, speaks of giving the Lord the first fruit. That includes your time. If you'll give Him the best of your mental ability and the time that you're the sharpest in the day, you'll learn more in that brief period of time than you would just you know, falling off asleep at night. Well, I'll, I'll try to remember this verse or study this, and next thing you know, you're asleep. <laughs> That's not the best of your time. Jesus Christ deserves the best of what you've got because the Lord gave the best. He was the best. If you've never made the profession to follow the Lord in public and be baptized, that's a little thing. That's a very small thing. And the Lord smiles on us when we do that. We give you that opportunity as we stand and sing some songs.